I love that song that uh, we we just uh, that we just sang. Uh, good, good father. I was uh, joking around with my father-in-law yesterday. Uh, we were in Ardmore for a birthday party of my niece, and he brought home a bulletin uh, for his church. And I was looking over the music he had picked out, and. Good, Good Father was one of the songs they were going to be doing uh, today, and I laughed, and I said, I would bet almost every church around sings that song tomorrow. I said, as a matter of fact, I haven't even talked to Brother Justin. He's been at Super Summer all week. I would bet we're going to do Good, Good Father tomorrow, and then lo and behold, guess what we did? Good, Good Father, and it is a great song, not just for Father's Day. It's a great song all the way around because we have in our Heavenly Father, an incredible, loving, awesome Father in heaven. And, and he's, he's a great, great Father. And we're going to talk about some of those things uh, about His greatness today. You know, one of the, probably one of the greatest blessings in my life personally was the day I became a father. Um, and every time my wife made me a new father uh, with my other two kids, I, I love just about everything about being a father. Matter of fact, I think I love everything about being a father. I love um, the funny moments as a father where um, you get to see the real of your kids that a lot of other people don't get to see. Um, I also like the funny moments where you get to pester them and there's nothing they can do about it because you're the dad and they're not. Uh, that's what I, I pester them all the time and I'll go, do you know why I did that? And they even know the answer, because you're the dad. That's right, that's why I do that. And I got that from my dad, so I'm just passing that down. And so I love those moments as a dad where you get to have fun with your kids, but then there's also the moments where they, they make you feel like the king of the world, where um, they, they make you feel like you can do anything. Uh, they, they, they think you can do anything. They bring you everything to fix, like fix this. And, and I try so hard to fix stuff. If you know me, I'm not a really good fixer um, at, at a lot of stuff. But I try, and they make you feel good. I love those moments when they make you feel like that. I, I love the moments where they come and they ask if they can go with you somewhere, just you and them. Like, especially when you have, when they, when you have more than one child, uh, sometimes each individual child just wants to spend some time alone with their mom or with their dad. And it makes me feel good when one of them comes up and says, hey, w can I go with you somewhere? Can me and you just go do this? I, I love that, that type of moment. I, I love the moments where you're their biggest fan. I, I love the moments where you get to encourage them and, and, and cheer them on and be their biggest fan. I love the moments where they grow up right in front of your eyes, you know, where your kids You've been pouring into them, and then all of a sudden, without being prompted, they do something you've taught them. Like, I, I love that. Like, for me, it's, uh, I'm really particular about saying thank you for stuff. And, and I, it, it just blesses my heart when I don't have to tell my kids to say thank you. And I watch them do that. I see them maturing. It's a great thing as a parent. I even love the moments where I have to lead them and discipline them. I, I love the moments where... I, and I didn't say punish them, I said discipline them. I, I love being able to teach vital life principles to my children. There, there's just, I don't know that there's any aspect of being a father that, that I don't like. And, and I do this uh, for a simple reason. Number one, I, I want to be a good father. I, I want to be what the Bible describes as a good father physically on this earth. I, I want to be that uh, for my kids. I want my children 
to grow into mature and, and disciplined and, and discipled in Christ adults. That's what I desire for them. I can't make them do that, but that's what I desire for them. And I also do it because I, I love the little gifts they bring you. Like this morning, I walked into church, and I got these, these, these gifts. I guess they made them in Sunday school. And uh, these, these stress relievers, basically, is what they are. And uh, my kids must have known I was in need of those. And uh, so whoever had come up with the idea for them to make that in Sunday school, you did great, because I've got both of them, and I've, I've already been back there just kind of squeezing on them. But uh, just a little gifts. If you go in my office, about anything my children bring me that's colored, it's either hanging in my office, it's in my, on our refrigerator at home, or I've got it in a file. I don't throw any of that away. And... and and I just, I do that because I love my children. I love being a father. Now, here's the thing. I'm not perfect, though, as a father. Like, I make lots of mistakes as a father. I think every man in this room that desires to be a great father makes a lots of mistakes. None of us are perfect at being a, a, a perfect father at all. I don't believe any man is. But I do know one father who is perfect. And I know one father who is perfect at being a good father, and that is our heavenly father. And just as our earthly fathers try to help our, our children, we try to help them understand vital life principles. We try to help them understand lessons and help them uh, learn and all those types of things to enable them to grow into uh, matured and disciplined adults. I believe our heavenly father helps us as well, and the help that he gives us is found in his precious gift of Jesus Christ. You see, as a church, we often talk about Jesus being a gift at Christmas time, right? The greatest gift that's ever been given, we'll talk about that. You'll see musicals on it, songs about it. And that's true. Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given. He was given, we talk about this, on the first Christmas morning. So we talk about Jesus being this great gift that we got from, from God, our Father. We also talk about the gift that that God gives us in Jesus, like not just, just him coming, but we, for example, we have the gift of, of, of eternal life because of Jesus. We, we know that if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus came and lived a perfectly obedient life and then willingly sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for my sin and for your sin, if that didn't happen, you and I couldn't be saved. And so we talk about this great gift of salvation that comes from God, that comes through Jesus to us. We talk about how Jesus is a gift to us in that uh, he comes not just to, he comes to give us life and not just any life, but a life that's more abundant, right? Which is a precious gift. And so we talk sometimes about many of the gifts that we find in Jesus, but there's one gift, one helpful purpose, if you will, that of Jesus that's been given to us by God for a specific purpose that's often overlooked in the life of the church, but it is one that is vital to our salvation, and it just so happens to be the theme for this morning's or for this afternoon's Vacation Bible School. And it's a very theological truth. It is very true, but it is often one that is not talked about all that much. And so this morning, I really want to dig into it, and it's very simple, and that's this. Jesus helps me believe. Jesus helps me believe. If you want to put that in theological terms, it's this. Jesus helps me have faith. Jesus helps with my faith. 
Now, again, this is a very profound theological truth. It is often not talked about in the church. Uh, there's, it's not often preached on, and there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, some people don't preach on that, and I don't have time to go into all of that this morning. But the fact is, from a biblical standpoint, the ability to believe, the ability to have faith is, is, is a gift from God that comes through Jesus. The ability to believe, the ability to have faith is a gift from God. And so in order for us to see that this morning, I want us to look at a couple passages of Scripture, and then we're going to look at some biblical truths about what the Bible talks about our faith. So if you have your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2, first place we're going to read, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to jump over to Hebrews chapter 12. So in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is what Paul's telling the church in Ephesus. He says this, for by, the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now get this next statement, because it's often left out when we quote the verse. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. Now I want you, I'm going to read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. That is a gift from God. Now look over in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, look at verses 1 and 2. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this in verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now what he's talking about witnesses in Hebrews 11 it's called the faith chapter in Scripture. And he has just given us a rundown of all the Old Testament saints that, uh, that, that had faith. And it says, by faith they did. And he gives us all these great examples of faith. And he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of faith, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the key, listen, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase today, and as we go through these next few moments, Lord, that you would speak to us in a very special way. Lord, that the words that will be shared would not be mine, they would be yours. And, and Father, you would use them today to encourage us, to challenge us, um, Lord, to comfort us and even convict us. Father, that you would receive all the praise and the glory and the honor for the, these next few moments as our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, what these two passages, and they're often read, but some, some of the truths in them we kind of skip over to get to the parts we, we, we want to preach on. For example, just one real quick, in Ephesians chapter 2, that is a verse that we, especially as Baptists, use to make sure people know that you're not saved by your works, because that's what the verse says. For it is by grace through faith that you've been saved, and that's not of yourselves, the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So that would normally be the emphasis point of that verse, and we kind of skip the other parts, okay? In Hebrews chapter 12, we talk about this great cloud of witnesses and how that we need, if we're going to run this race that we have as Christians, we need to, 
to throw off every weight, which is sin that so easily entangles us. And we do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus. All, by the way, are perfectly true, but we sometimes miss some of the finer details of these passages. And these two passages sum up a very significant teaching that's found throughout the New Testament, and that is faith, saving faith is not of ourselves. Saving faith is not something you and I come up with on our own. Here's the fact. If it wasn't for Jesus, none of us would believe. If it wasn't for Jesus, you and I would not have biblical faith. So the point is, just like it is for VBS, Jesus is a gift to us from our good Father, and He helps us in a lot of ways, and in one specific way, He helps us have faith. He helps us have faith. And in order for us to see this a little more clearly this morning, I want us to look at four biblical theological truths about faith. Now, I use the word theological, and a lot of people will kind of check out. They're like, oh, big word, we're out. No, listen, Theology is good for the church. It's good for the believer. And one of the biggest issues we have today in the life of the church and in Christian life in particular individually is we don't have good theology and we get ripped apart and torn to shreds by the world and by all the various teachings. That's why Paul says to the church in Ephesus, that's one of the reasons why he gave us apostles, prophets, preachers, and teachers so that you would reach a unity of the faith to the point that you will no longer be tossed around by all the different doctrines of the world. And so theology is good. So when you hear that word, don't, don't check out. Also, these theological truths are simple, but they're true, and they are very significant, and I want to give them to you. The first thing I want to give you this morning is what faith is. What faith is. Now, there are many things in Scripture that may not be all that clear. Scripture might not be all that clear on certain things. But one thing the Bible very clearly defines for us is what faith is. Now, listen to what the Bible defines faith for us in Hebrews chapter 11. I said it's the faith chapter. There's a reason for that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Simply put, the biblical definition of faith is trusting in something you can't explicitly see or prove. It's trusting in something you can't explicitly see or prove. Now, that definition of faith contains two aspects, and they're both, they're both necessary for saving faith to exist. The first aspect of that would be intellectual assent. It's the idea of believing something to be true. You have to have a, an intellectual knowledge that something that you've been taught is true. The second aspect of saving biblical faith is trust. That is where you not only believe something to be true, but you rely on the fact of that teaching or you rely on that fact to accomplish what it says it's going to accomplish. You rely on the fact that something is true. Now, we use that when, especially when we teach kids. One of the examples we use for that is a chair. And I'm going to change that this morning because you're all sitting in pews, okay? Every one of you practiced a biblical faith this morning if you're sitting down in a pew. Now, how'd you do that? Well, number one, you had to recognize and agree intellectually that that pew would hold you up or you weren't going to sit in it, right? 
If you don't think something's going to hold you up, you're not going to sit in it. You have to believe in your mind, when I sit down, I'm not going to fall. For example, I'm probably not going to sit. Well, I use this bench as a, as a stand for my Bible, but I don't like to sit on it because I'm not so sure it's going to hold me up. Now, I've got a bench that I sit on every Wednesday night back there made out of metal, and I trust it, and I have no problem sitting on it. I believe it can hold me up. I'm not so sure if this would get. That's what it means to intellectually believe. But the second aspect of faith is that not only did you have to intellectually believe it could hold you, you actually had to put your trust in it and sit. Okay? That's the second aspect of faith. That's the trusting aspect. You believed it to be true, and so you practiced your, your, your belief by trusting in what you thought. Now, that's the same. That is what typical biblical faith is required for salvation. You have to both recognize that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. You have to recognize in your mind and believe that he is the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for your sins, shedding his blood for you, paying the price for you. You have to believe that in your mind. But the second thing has to exist as well. You have to take that step where now you not only believe it in your mind, you trust it to be true. You trust in what he did. People have asked me before, you know, if you ever get to heaven and, and uh, God asks you, why should I let you in heaven? What should, would your answer be? And I said, I only have one answer. And I think there's only one answer that will suffice. And it's this. You shouldn't let me in, but I trusted Jesus and what he did was enough. Notice I didn't say I trusted me. I didn't trust in what I did. I didn't trust in anything I could do. I don't deserve to be here, but I trusted in Jesus, and I trusted what he did was enough. You see, that is what saving faith is, not only believing, but trusting, and that's where we have a problem today. You see, we have a lot of people today that believe certain facts about Jesus. They don't necessarily have an intellectual problem with Jesus. They may even believe in their mind that he is the Son of God, but they don't trust him him. You see, and biblical faith is not one or the other. Biblical faith is both, and that's what he is describing. That's what faith is. Faith is believing something to be true and then trusting in it to be able to do what it said it could do. Okay, that's what faith is. Now, second thing I want you to see this morning is faith is essential for our salvation. Some of you are like, how does this have anything to do with Jesus? Trust me, I'm getting there. Okay, but faith is Believing something to be true and trusting it. And then we need to recognize that faith is essential for salvation. Now, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, where we were a minute ago, in Hebrews chapter 2, listen to what it says in verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. All right, let's stop right there. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The Bible is very clear on where and how you and I become saved. Now, there are a lot of different opinions out there today about salvation. There are a lot of people that believe a lot of different ways about what it means to be saved today. Some believe that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. If you're sincere, then it's okay. It's the idea that, that all roads lead to heaven. Just make sure you, you believe in whatever road you're on. Uh, one way, some people think that if your good outweighs your bad. So if I die and I go to heaven, he's going to take all my good works. He's going to take all my bad works. There's going to be some kind of magical scale up there, and they're going to 
set them together, and if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm good and I get to go to heaven. Some people believe that you'll, you'll go if your good outweighs your bad. Some people believe that you'll go to heaven simply if you um, don't do anything too bad. So basically, heaven is for everyone except for maybe those that, uh, you know, murder or rape or something like that. Those, those terrible bad sins, you know, if, as long as I don't do that, I'm good. People believe that. Some believe if you go to church, if you just simply go to church and you try to be a good person, then you're going to be fine and go to heaven. Uh, there are some. There was a book written several years ago. It's a terrible book. It teaches very, very false theology. The book was called Love Wins, and it's the idea that no one will go to hell, that God loves everyone, and in the end, love wins. There is no hell. Everybody will go to heaven. That's what the book taught, and by the way, it's very wrong. It's not even close to biblically true, but a lot of people get caught up in that. Some people believe if you get baptized or if you get a certificate from the church. I have family members that, that they believe that because a church gave them a certificate that confirmed them that they're good. But the problem with all of those different statements that I just made is none of them line up with what the Bible says is required for salvation. Paul told the church in Ephesus in no uncertain terms, it is by grace through faith that you are saved. By grace through faith. See, the biblical requirement for salvation is faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, I like how the writer of Hebrews said it like this. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, he says it like this. But without faith, knowledge, intellectual knowledge, and trust, they both have to exist. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Listen, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. That's what you have to believe, faith. Faith is required for salvation. If you and I do not practice biblical faith in our life, if we have never had a time where we've come to an understanding of who God is, and we believe that to be true, and then we take the step and actually trust him with our hearts and with our lives, then we have not been saved. That is the requirement for salvation. So faith is intellectual knowledge and trust and something to be true, and Faith is essential for salvation. And the third thing from Scripture that we need to know about faith is that faith is a gift from God. Faith, biblical faith, intellectual belief, and trust is a gift. That's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Now listen, I didn't have you turn there, and I'll just read it to you. It's in Romans. Romans chapter 12. Listen to what Paul says. Now he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's about to go into the speech, or this aspect of teaching on spiritual gifts. But listen to what he says in Romans chapter 12. In verses 1 and 2, we know those very clear because that's the words that tells us, you know, I, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a holy as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Those are all, that's a great verse. But look at what he says in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Listen, here's why. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith of faith. You see, if it wasn't, again, for Jesus, none of us would believe. And according to this passage, and according to what this says, faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift 
given to us by God. Now, that tells us two things. That number one, it tells us that we are given the ability to believe as a gift from God himself. It is not our own thing. Basically, the idea is faith is not a natural part of who we are. Faith, biblical faith, biblical faith, the ability to intellectually believe and trust it for what the Bible says, to be able to do that with Jesus with our hearts and our lives, is not a natural part of who we are. And so God gives us the ability to have faith. Now, some would use that to try to teach that, well, there's proof that God, um, he only gives some people that ability. No, the Bible never, never says that about faith. The Bible says that anyone who seeks him will find him. There is never a part of Scripture that teaches that God handpicks some people to give faith and some people not to give faith to. Matter of fact, Paul says the exact opposite. As God has dealt to each a measure of faith. I like the way Jesus said it. You know, we, we teach a verse, and my, my Reformed Calvinistic friends like to quote it all the time, uh, and that is, you know, I know what the Bible says this. You know, unless the Father first draws him, then you cannot come. Basically, the idea, and it does teach that, by the way, unless the Father draws you, you won't come to Jesus. That, that's what, that does be taught. That is taught. But I, I, I love how we ignore what Jesus said. Because in Jesus, in, it was quoted by John in John chapter 12, verse 32, saying this, And I... If I be lifted up, and he ain't talking about being exalted. If I be lifted up, listen to what he says, I will draw all men unto myself. How does he do that? Through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you want to read more about that, read John chapter 16. And so the, the point of the fact is that faith is a gift given to us by God. We are given this ability to believe by God himself. Now, now, the other thing that that tells us is it's a free gift. It's not something that you and I can buy or earn. The ability to have faith is not something you buy. It's not something you can earn. It's just something you can receive. It is a free gift. Now, why does he give us this gift? Why does God give us the gift of faith? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, which immediately precedes the ver verses 8 and 9 that I've been reading, says that it is by, because of his great love for which he loved us. But God, who is rich in mercy, in mercy by his great love for which he loved us. God gives us the gift of faith because he loves us. Because God built and created us to have a relationship with him. But when sin entered in, our ability to have that relationship was completely broken. And when that we say completely broken, it's not just that we couldn't get back to God. It's we couldn't practice even the necessary aspect of getting back to God unless God did for us what we couldn't do. Now, we preach that in Jesus coming and living a perfect life. There is no doubt, by, I don't believe anybody here would, would, would doubt me and say that we could live a perfect life and, and do that on our own. Most of us would definitely agree if Jesus didn't come and live a perfect life, we'd be hopeless. But the fact of the matter is, if Jesus didn't come and give us faith as a gift from God, we wouldn't even be able to believe. You see, and what this does, what this does is it gives all the glory for our salvation to God. It's not ours. 
You and I don't deserve any aspect. My, my in-laws used to sing a song. I loved it. It was called uh, Sinner Saved by Grace. And, and, and the words of that song, I love it, is just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Grace is the un, unmerited, undeserved favor of God. There's nothing you or I could do. God, in his love for us, not only provided the way of salvation through Jesus, he provided the, the means for our salvation in Jesus through faith. So faith is a gift. And then the last thing I want you to see before we close, and I kind of already tied into it a little bit, but that is faith is provided to us by Jesus. He, he's the one that gives us the faith. He is the one that God gifted to us to give us faith. Now, I read the Hebrews verses earlier, but if you have your Bibles, open them back to Hebrews chapter 12 real quick. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I, I love this verse, but listen to it again. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. Now, that has two great truths for us this morning as we get ready to close. The first one is, Jesus is the author of our faith. Now, the Greek word that's defined author in that, right there, has a dual meaning. The, the first aspect is, it, it literally means a writer, or a founder, or a creator, or, a, or an originator, okay? An author, someone who originates, or creates, or founded, or, or wrote something, okay? The second dual meaning of that is, it's an example, uh, it's the one who takes the lead and is the example for us. So, so if that has a dual meaning, which meaning is accurate when we're talking about Jesus? To, I, I believe it's both. It's both. You see, Jesus is the one who begins or instigates our faith. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, another popular verse, again, that we know, but sometimes we don't really dig into. He, he who began... A good work in you is faithful to complete it. He who began a good work. That, the beginning was their faith. John chapter 12, I already said this. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. It begins with him. He is the founder. He is the author. He is the originator of our faith. But he is also our example. Because the one who shows us how to live a life of faith is him. I found it interesting. In Hebrews chapter 11, the, the writer of Hebrews gives us a full summation of a ton of, of patriarchs of the Old Testament and, and matriarchs of the Old Testament who, who, who practice faith and, and talks about all these incredible stories of faith. But you notice in Hebrews chapter 12, when we're told to practice our faith, that we're not told to keep our eyes on them. You know, he doesn't say, keep your eyes on Moses, who by faith, or David, who by faith, or Rahab, who by faith, or Gideon, who by faith. He doesn't tell us to keep our eyes on any of them. Who does he tell us to keep our eyes on? Jesus. Why? Because he is the example. He is the one that is completely perfect in, in faith. He is the one who is, is firmly, has always firmly trusted God at all times and in all ways. That's who we follow. And the second truth is not only is he our author, but the Bible says he's our perfecter. He's the perfecter of our faith. That word perfecter literally means sustainer or finisher or completer. 
Very simply, he is the one that will complete our faith. I like to say it like this. If you and I were capable of losing faith, we would. But God is the one that gives us our faith, and Jesus is the one that originated it, and he's the one who will complete it. I love that verse again in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, to complete it. You see, we're never going to be left alone and all by ourselves trying to hold on to our faith. You know, there are so many reasons why God is a good father. So many reasons this morning why we could worship him and sing that song, Good, Good Father. Uh, there, are, there are many that we talk about most other days of the year. But one of the greatest aspects of him being a good father is that he provides the way for our salvation in Jesus. But he also provides the means for our salvation, which is faith. He gives us both the way and the means because on our own, we, could do, we couldn't do anything for our salvation. But God, because of his great love for us, gave us a free gift of faith, which is given to us and found in us in Jesus Christ.